Hello, and welcome to episode 95 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. If you are listening to this on or near its air date, you know that we are in the early stages of the impacts of the coronavirus on daily life. So first, I hope you are all safe and healthy and heeding the guidance for voluntary social distancing and using good hand hygiene practices. If you are interested, you can follow what I and my family are up to on Instagram at MamieKS, where I'm posting our daily activities or attempted activities and some fun family pictures. But seriously, I wish you and your loved ones good health during these unprecedented times. Second, I am planning for episode 96 to be an overview of things that you can do as a manager to keep your team connected and aligned during this crazy time. But because my turnaround time for creating episodes is a little bit longer than I would sometimes like it to be, and I wanted to be able to help you faster than that, I hosted two live webinars, and maybe you even attended them, about effectively working from home and managing your team remotely. The webinar replays are available to purchase for $15. You can find them and make that purchase at mamieks.com slash webinar replays. When you purchase a replay, you can make it available for up to nine other team members. So that means you get 10 people, including yourself, for $15 in case you want to share with your team. Also, if you are a member of the Modern Manager community, and by the way, a warm welcome to David M., the newest member of the Modern Manager community, you get access to both of these webinars for free as part of your membership. So consider becoming a member now and getting access to both of those webinars plus all the other member content. All right, now today's guest is Jonah Fisher. Jonah is the director of Seeds of Peace's international innovation arm, Gather. His passion for social innovation has led him to the building of a microfinance organization during the global recession, an interfaith service learning program during times of unprecedented bigotry in the United States an international social entrepreneurship accelerator, and most recently, a co-working space for social entrepreneurs in Tel Aviv. Jonah and I talk about culture and what it is, how to read cultural cues, how to connect and build relationships across cultures, how to work with team members around the world at a distance, and how to balance having a consistent culture that is comfortable for people and having diversity in culture that enhances the team. Now, here's my conversation with Jonah. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jonah. First, I have to give a shout out to Rachel Garrell for connecting us at Nexus, which is the conference that we met at. And I, it's just been so much fun to become friends with you over the past number of months. And I'm just really thrilled to have you on the show today. Happy to be here. The spontaneity of it is amazing. I love the fact that I think we met in a taxi cab and here we are on a podcast months later. Who knows? The world works in magical ways. It does. All right, let's set the stage before we dig into all of this good content. So let's start with how you define culture and working across culture. Sure. I define culture, and this is my one definition, not a Webster dictionary definition. I define culture as all the small and subtle things that make up how a person's world makes them into who they are. So I think culture are the things that are usually ineffable, that are in the air around you, that are linked to family and linked to habits and linked to norms 
the ways we speak, the ways we stand, the ways we sit, the ways we eat, the ways we work, of course. And frequently, I would say the most complex thing about culture is that it's hard for us to trace the roots of our own cultures. There are parts of ourselves that are almost innate. There's a kind of nature-nurture element to it, but we all kind of are influenced by the worlds around us, and we are kind of a compilation of the cultures that make us up. Does that help? It does. And it's particularly interesting to hear your definition because I've been working on a big culture project and we've been trying to define culture and figure out what are the elements of a culture that shape it and reinforce it and what drives those decisions and you know how do you swim in this amorphous thing that shapes you. And it's really hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think in the work context, Many workplaces have cultures, whether they like it or not. And the biggest challenge is to create an intentional culture that is active and not reactive. Sometimes we just fall into habits and cultures rather than creating ones that are by design. I totally agree. And that is one of the biggest problems with culture is that it exists all the time. And as you hire new people who bring in their backgrounds and their experiences and their habits, right? The culture is always going to be influenced by those people. And if the people who are coming in are bringing things that align with the existing culture, that's great. But if they're bringing in things that don't align, then the culture can kind of shift and emerge and and evolve in a way that's maybe not how you necessarily want it to. Or maybe it actually is a good thing, but it's unintentional either way. Absolutely. And I can share that even this very conversation has its own cultural elements that are baked into it. If this were being recorded at my family dinner table, I would have interrupted you probably five times already. And everyone's culture of how you speak, who speaks when, at what pace, at what tone, at what volume, all those things are kind of baked into every individual microculture. So if this is such messy, complicated stuff, how do you work with people who have so many different cultures, especially because you've been working with people across cultures for years. And so, you know, you see how all of these different pieces come together. So I'm, I'm in a moment right now where I'm really feeling this very acutely. I'm in the process of interviewing for our uh, accelerator program for the Gather Fellowship, which means that on a given day, I could start my morning at 9 a.m. speaking with um, a woman in Pakistan, then hanging out with her and getting on the phone with a man in India, hopping over to Gaza, to Cairo, to Chicago, and then over to Amman, Jordan, all in one day. And I'm sitting in the same place, but my interactions are actually moving me hour by hour via the magic of Zoom to all these different places. And I have to moderate myself and modulate my behavior and conversation style to each interaction. And it really isn't simple. So I would say, I think first, I have to be certain of what culture I want to bring, especially in this powerful position I'm in of being an interviewer. I set the tone. So I know that whatever I establish, people will react to. For me, the culture I want to create on that kind of foundation is always warm. So I start by asking people to speak about their own personal life stories. I try to start with some jokes. I try to smile. I know he'll walk into that environment nervous and anxious. I try to dress a bit down. and I'm not wearing a tie in that kind of a moment when some people do show up with a jacket and tie. And those small indications help people kind of find their way to the interaction. But I also have to kind of take quick cues from the person I'm speaking with to make sure I'm, you know, meeting them respectfully and kind of having a fair and even conversation with them. So two things you said I want to dig into a little bit here because I've been reading a book on cross-cultural relationships, specifically in the workplace. And humor and dress 
are two interesting points because, well, first, one of the things it says in the book is that every culture is only kind of in relationship to another. And so it's always the interaction between these two different cultures where you can say, well, one of them is more this and the other is more that. But independently, the culture, is it just is. But humor and dress are two interesting pieces because what one culture finds funny or even what one person finds funny is not the same thing as what somebody else or another culture finds funny. And with dress, I find it the same that what we consider maybe in America to be business casual is considered formal wear in other organizational life in other countries. So I think it's interesting that those are the two, two pieces that you mentioned. Yeah, I'll share a quick story about dress, which is that I, for two years, worked as a consultant for city governments in Israel. And I grew up in New York City and was trained that if you want to impress someone, you want to gain their trust, you dress up. You wear a nice button-down shirt, maybe a tie, maybe a suit, and you come in looking dapper. And I was rolling into these cities and meeting with city government officials, mayors, the mayor's advisors. And these are not big cities, they're more of a kind of peripheral small town cities. And I'd be wearing these very nice, very clean button-down shirts and nice shoes, and they'd be wearing t-shirts and jeans and even shorts or flip-flops. And I kept coming back wearing the same kind of consultant outfit until at some point they said to me, hey, big city kid, we don't trust you and your ideas. You aren't one of us. And I realized that my dress kind of gave me away as someone who wasn't one of them in a distinctive way. And every time I went back falling, I would like take off one layer, not take off entirely, but I would remove a layer of formality in terms of my, my dress until finally I was hopefully in that balanced space of still respectful and professional, but more eye to eye with them. But that was a journey. You know, it's so funny you say that that was in Israel because I feel like the same thing happens out in like Silicon Valley, right? Or in other kinds of startup spaces where there may be serious business happening, but the idea of wearing a suit and tie is just so foreign that if you show up in that outfit, even though you're in America, where we all know that business suits are completely acceptable, you would be looked at as an outsider. That's right. Right. I think it's hard to adjust yourself to the reality. And the toughest thing really is how do you maintain your own personal sense of comfort and culture while adjusting? So I would never encourage anyone to completely drop their own sense of comfort just to meet someone else. And I think that's honestly a large part of what it means to have, you know, true cross-cultural work and communication, which is how can I respect and engage with you while also maintaining the full version of myself? So let's talk a little bit about the listening and looking for cues from the other person, because that feels like the place where you start to balance who you are and who they are, or your culture and your comfort and their culture that they're bringing. So can you talk a little bit about what you look for or how you gather the signals so that you can kind of self-modulate? Yeah, I'll start by saying I want to minimize my guessing work as much as possible. So I'm a big believer that putting humans first and putting you know, personal story and experience up front is the best way to understand how to best engage with and communicate with someone. So I will start almost every interview and frequently any kind of professional conversation by sharing about who I am, where I grew up, talking about my wife, my, my family, not doing over sharing, but a basic kind of profile of myself, and then kind of asking similar questions of my you know, interlocutor so that I can actually get a better sense of quickly I'm gathering information about what kind of education do they have, do they have kids, maybe they didn't sleep so much the night before because they have a toddler. Maybe they have gotten 10 degrees and I want to, you know, make sure I'm respecting the fact that they have a PhD and a master's and speaking to them at that kind of a level. There are all kinds of ways of picking up stories from someone and then knowing how to better engage with them. 
So I always start by asking people just to describe themselves to me so I can do as little guessing as possible. The next thing I think I would say is, is it comes, I do a lot of facial recognition work and that might sound more technical than it is, but I think within 10 seconds, you can get a sense of how someone's going to engage with you based on kind of how they're looking at you. I, like I said, I like starting with some kind of humor. I don't make, you know, you know, dad jokes. I don't make kind of a, you know, knock, knock joke, but I'll say something kind of light or fun or sweet and kind of see how I get a reaction. And if someone reacts kind of dryly, I can tell that we're going to have kind of a more of a serious and staged interaction. And if someone kind of meets me there, I'll, I will loosen up and kind of loosen up with them. And I don't, I don't think there's one right or wrong answer about it, but those are some s- small ways to kind of throw something in the air and see how it lands. So what do you do when things get complicated or messy? Because your perspective, your culture, your, the things that feel comfortable and normal for you are clashing with or causing friction or at odds with someone else? Or as you've done your work with people, bringing people together across cultures, have you seen other people where you've been the facilitator or the moderator and they've kind of run into that sandpaper moment? Yeah. I mean, in my work, so I am a Jewish person who, you know, has lived my life between the United States and Israel. There are certain parts of my identity that just are baked into who I am that I cannot choose. And there are certain definitional parts of my identity that if someone reads on paper and they're from a different place, they will have assumptions and perhaps negative reactions to it. This works kind of very obviously in places where I go and work with Palestinians. And I think one of the first things I'm very well aware of is that as someone definitely, you know, Israeli, Hebrew speaking, Jewish, I have to immediately start a conversation assuming that this person is somewhat skeptical of me. And I have to start a conversation assuming that I have to, in a certain regard, you know, earn their trust. And I think that the way I like to do that is to really start by a you know, establishing a joint humanity, the same thing I spoke about before, but also immediately kind of granting that person a sense that I actually understand the complexity of their story and their narrative, and I am a champion for them and their well-being. And uh, I try to do that in ways that are not just empty words. I think we're in a cultural moment now where people kind of list their liberal credibilities up front by saying, as a, you know, liberal XXXYYYY, you know, describing their own qualifications. People list those things up front thinking that earns them trust, but actually you have to do more than just name those things to earn trust. I think I try to also show people respectfully kind of in my body language and the way I make eye contact with them, that I'm actually a real partner of theirs and hope that sets us up for a a positive interaction. Are there any models or frameworks for bridging cross-cultural differences that you've found helpful? So the, the, the program that I run, the Gather Fellowship Program, is a program that brings together Israeli and Palestinian, Indian and Pakistani, Democratic and Republican, all kinds of people of difference within the U.S., South Asia, the Middle East, and people who really, on paper, have little in common, little to kind of find shared ground around. And what we try to do is say, hey, you are all united by the fact that you are taking on socially innovative projects to address conflicts and issues in your communities. And if you dig into them, you'll find a lot of commonality. So one of the things I find the most helpful as a model is really unpacking the nature of our work and how our challenges look. And quickly you'll find that a lot of the challenges that I have are challenges you'll have as well. I was running a program for a bunch of people from these different conflict zones, and I found a group of women, one from Cyprus, one from Israel, one from Palestine, one from Jordan, and one from India, sitting on the porch together with a glass of white wine. And I found that they had spent the past hour digging into the way in which being a woman in each of their countries, no matter the cultural differences, they each suffered and struggled with certain kinds of shared things. 
And that affected the way the, the, their work was, was operating. It affected the way in which their romantic relationships were operating, their, their personal relationships were operating. And so there are certain kind of ways in which if you can you know, unpack the shared humanity, you can find those points of connection. And that helps to kind of bridge and, and work through those initial assumptions. It's so interesting that, one, that there are always things that we can find in common in our shared humanity. And I'm imagining that just as women from a variety of different cultures were coming together on this, if you did the same thing with a variety of people in the United States, it would be similar, right? We, ha- we have microcosm or micro cultures, either because you worked at specific organizations or because you're from the East Coast or the West Coast or the North or the South or a particular city or a more urban area or rural area. And all of those differences come into play. And when we look for the commonalities and we look for our shared humanity, we find that we're actually more similar than different. Totally. I would say I think one of the strongest ways to connect people is through challenge. I think there's nothing more energizing than pain and people can connect around their shared experiences of, of challenge. So you might be a Trump voter from Idaho and you might be connecting with someone who is a liberal from Connecticut and you can connect over the fact that you both are deeply exhausted because you have six-month-old babies at home. And that point of pain is something you can say, wow, we actually, our lives are kind of similar. And we're both dealing with the expensive prices of baby clothing, you know? And we both want to deal with the fact that daycare and preschool education is just overpriced. And that can be an empowering way for us to find something that, that you might unite us and might actually enable us to work together on a shared cause. I love that. All right, now I'm just thinking about where I want to go next because that was just such a lovely thing. Thank um, you. <laughs> That's my whole work right there. I mean, minus the baby analogy, which I just made up. Okay. so. You know, it seems like a lot of this comes from, a lot of bridging cultural difference comes from building relationships, right? And having those conversations and looking for shared pain points, as you just described. That's not always easy to do when you're sitting in offices on different sides of the world, right? And you're connecting over Zoom and email and Slack. Are there things that you've noticed that make it easier or harder to build those relationships and to handle those cultural differences when you're working at a distance? Yeah, I'm currently overseeing someone who is in Jerusalem and I'm in New York City. So we have a seven hour time difference and we're operating in very different contexts. I will say the entire hiring process was done virtually. So I never met her in person before I hired her. Only, you know, reading resumes and applications and then a bunch of virtual interviews. That being said, we made a a serious effort to make sure that we met in person as soon as possible. So as soon as she was hired, I got myself out to Jerusalem you know, the next week and did my onboarding with her on the ground. I think that it's very hard to replace the trust and the alignment and the kind of foundation for a relationship that comes from being done in person. But then we started working together virtually, which is what we do ever since. I would say the secret to a healthy virtual relationship in the workplace is structure and consistency. So we have every single Monday morning, I wake up on Monday morning, get to the office, and we have two blocks blocked every Monday morning to start the week together. And we have more opportunities throughout the week to add on to if we need them. And we keep that going. So we, we will not let you know, a week pass where we are not in, in touch. And we have emails flowing back and forth all throughout. And if that communication dries up at any given point, we can get in some serious trouble. Because our differences, both in where we're at mentally and where we're at physically, can lead us to making all kinds of assumptions that will cause us to create conflict that might not exist. 
Yeah, I've seen similar things happen when my team at one point, we were in five different countries. So oh I remember we were all over, number of different time zones. For many people, English was not their first language. Trying to keep everybody connected and someone would type something. I mean, I'll give you a cute story about this even outside of the work office, but my mother-in-law's job used to require her to keep her cap locks on all the time on our keyboard. It was mm-hmm. just how she had to enter data. So she would send me an email and I would think that she was screaming at me, even though oh she God. wasn't. She just was, you know, not pushing the uncaps just to be able to write an email, but it always felt like she was yelling at me, right? And that's such a small thing. But when you have a team where English isn't always everyone's first language and you're dealing with the short, quick typing that happens on Slack or by email, sometimes the things that come across back and forth don't always go over so well. So if you're not finding those ways, as you're saying, to like stay connected through conversation, through Zoom on a regular basis, it's really easy to let misunderstandings and nuances, you know, just start to disintegrate and and cause problems that just really don't even need to be caused. Yeah, I'll add to that, that we are experiencing more and more micro cultures that are being built in the workplace. So you mentioned Slack and Zoom. We have so many different ways of doing our work, especially virtually. And people are becoming, I would say, almost tribal in the way in which they work. So some people are Skype people and some people are Zoom people. And when you're scheduling a phone call, you know you have to spend time getting someone's Skype username in advance if you're a Zoom person and vice versa. And the same goes for project management, whether you're working on Slack or you're working on a Trello or you're working on an Asana or whatever you might be utilizing to kind of organize your team's efforts. So if you add to that the existing kind of intercultural challenges, the kind of what I would call the technological cultural challenges, it can get quite messy. Uh, and I think as a manager, you have to be very strict with yourself about saying, this is our system. Here's how we as a team are operating. Here's a logic behind our system because no one likes a system that has no logic to it. And here's how we're doing it and keeping with it. And the problem with these systems frequently is that people are not committed enough to them, so they fall out of purpose. You have to every week be maintaining your system, going back as a team to your Trello board or your Slack channel, keeping the communication organized there, the files saved there. And if you don't do it, then you kind of lose yourself and everyone goes back to their own way of doing things and things get really messy. I completely agree. And I will add to that, that even little practices of, you know, when something's going to get done, like the idea of it'll get done today, we have different interpretations of. And some of it is cultural and some of it is just the person, right? Like when I say I'm doing something today, usually what I mean is I'll get it to you before I go to bed, right? which is probably not the best way to do something, right? To say, I'll get to you today. Really, I, it, you know, it should probably be by end of business. But because people I work with are all over the country, my five o'clock to me feels less meaningful because I have clients who are in California for whom my five o'clock is still the middle of their workday. And I have clients that are in Europe for whom my five o'clock is already there in bed. So like, why should I even care that five o'clock is the end of my day? So if I'm going to get it to you today. I'll get it to you today. I think that goes to the whole challenge of the culture around time management and work-life balance creation. And I, I've had a strange experience. And the one role that I'm in now, I spent two years of this role living in Tel Aviv and now two years of this role living in New York. And while I was in Tel Aviv, I was working with New York. And while I was in New York, I worked with Tel Aviv. And so you have this I've experienced both sides of a time zone difference. And I can share that you know, I, I definitely was the guy in Tel Aviv who would be signing offline around 6, 7, 8 p.m. And I would start getting emails still from New York at my 9, 10, 11 p.m. And I would really have to fight the urge to respond because I knew I wanted to be offline, but the information was still coming in. And now that I'm on this side, I frequently find myself doing that to my colleagues. 
And what's very important to me is to communicate to them, hey, I'm going to keep working and including you on things. I want to set a clear expectation. This is not for response right now. You can get to this tomorrow. And that has to be established up front in terms of what, how I'm communicating with you and how my work is flowing into your inbox and what the expectation is around that. Because otherwise, someone who's reporting to you can get an email from you at 10 and feel the need to respond to it and be the right, you know, do the right thing vis-a-vis their boss. And you have to be very clear about where those lines are drawn. Yeah, and all of this gets to like, how do you bring together the variety of cultural influences and rea- like just the reality of where each person is in their life and on their team and build the culture for your team that works for you as the manager and for the team as a whole. That goes back to where we started, which is when you're not intentional, it's really messy. And when you are intentional, it can be something that is really beautiful and enables human thriving on many ways. So the hardest part about that, in in my opinion, is the sweet spot that exists if you can find it. So on one hand, you can run the risk if you're trying to build a clean, aligned culture of just hiring a totally homogenous staff. And you can just hire copy-paste versions of yourself. And that'll be very easy to work with. Everyone speaks like you. Everyone writes like you. Everyone uses the same technological platforms you use. You'll have a very easy time working together. And you'll be very boring and very not creative. On the other hand, you can really pursue working with difference and finding very, very different people from you in all the various capacities. And at a certain point, that difference becomes very tough to manage. So you have to find a way to find that sweet spot wherein people are different enough that you're sharing from and learning from and challenging each other, but aligned enough that you can actually work together. And that's a very hard balance to find. Any tips or suggestions on how to find that balance? Because I agree, you got to have diversity on your team. And especially with the capabilities of technology today, there is no reason to limit yourself to people who are in your geography or who are thinking and speaking and acting and looking just like you, right? Like we already know from lots of research that that is not what produces the best results for business or in life. So any suggestions for how to help bridge that gap? Yeah, I think when you're building a project or building a team, it's very important to do that work on your own in advance of being hyper clear about what your actual needs and goals are. And the more clear you are upfront about those expectations, the more your job description is very, very focused, the more you'll kind of narrow that pool in advance and limit the possibilities of veering off course. And the other piece, once you've done that very kind of technical work of getting focused, you have to trust your gut. I think I've over the years more and more be convinced that my gut is an amazing ally. When I'm interviewing people, I can feel this sense of we're seeing things in a similar way. We're not always agreeing, but we're aligned. You share my vision, you share my aesthetic, you share my style, you share my tone. And those sorts of things can actually be very powerful. And I can feel them the first five minutes speaking to someone. And you have to trust that gut and build teams around that gut. And also enable yourself to follow your gut. And if someone's making you uncomfortable and challenging you, that's not always a bad thing. So that your gut can deceive you as well, but you have to listen to it and respond to it. And the second half of it is you have to continually cultivate it. These teams that are definitely across culture and time and, and, and location, they require constant oiling. So you have to keep meeting in person. Teams that are only virtual are going to sink at some point. You have to make time for, for you to meet in person, have long dinners together. You have to build shared trust, a sense of community. And you have to keep that community going even when you're working virtually. So when we meet as a team, myself and my colleagues who are in Europe, the Middle East and the States, we spend the first five, 10 minutes just catching up, just kind of reestablishing our community. We have a lot of shared love and appreciation for each other. And if we don't start on that place, our misalignment can kind of continue and bring us throughout the entire process of working together. 
So that's a good place for us to pause and shift to a story from you about one of the fantastic managers that you had the privilege and pleasure of working with and what made this person so fantastic. Yeah, if I can give a shout out to my current manager, I think this is perhaps the best manager I've had. I think what's awesome about the manager I currently have is that she is able to both, she's very micro and very macro. Uh, I'll explain what that means. She's able to both, you know, look at me as her employee and look at the work I'm doing in a very zoomed out and holistic sense. She's able to kind of ask me big picture questions about who I am and where do I want to go and how do I want to grow myself professionally and able to also ask me how I'm doing. How's my family doing? Do I need time for myself? Should I take off some time for vacation? She's able to be very tapped into that kind of personal side and also very laser hyper-focused into the micro side details of our work. She will both, you know, in one hour, I can receive one email from her about, you know, a receipt being improperly accounted for. And half an hour later, receive a question about our five-year strategy. And that, that holistic kind of full gamut is something that's very hard to find. And that same gamut for kind of seeing me as a human and seeing me as kind of a, a vehicle for the work I'm doing is a really rare combination. And so in that regard, I, I feel very seen and supported by this manager. Uh, and I'm not only saying this because she pays my bills, but I, I really am very appreciative of the way in which this person's able to balance those various things. Oh. Fantastic. And where can people learn more about you, Jonah, and keep up with your work? Sure. So um, you can follow Gather mostly through the Seeds of Peace website, www.seedsofpeace.org. We also have a pretty lively Facebook and Twitter and Instagram channel, Seeds of Peace, as well. We have a number of annual events that we do that are reported about pretty widely through our channels. Find the Gather Fellowship there, the Gather Summit coming up. And we are in the process of a new pilot called Gather Jerusalem. So check out all those things online. And you can always write me at my uh, personal email, jonah at seedsofpeace.org. Thank you so much for this conversation today. Such a pleasure as always. My pleasure. Looking forward to the next one. Jonah has offered two 45-minute coaching sessions on social innovation. And since this may not be relevant to everyone, if you are interested, this guest bonus will be available to the first two members who request a session. So you can get one 45-minute session if you are interested. If you are not yet a member and you were really psyched about having a chance to talk with Jonah and you want to make sure that you can get it before you join, I totally understand. Just email me directly to secure your spot. And once I confirm that you've got one, you can become a member and then you'll get the coaching session. You can email me at mamie at mamieks.com and learn more about memberships and become a member at mamieks.com slash join. And don't forget about those webinar replays, which are included in your membership or available for purchase at mamieks.com slash webinar replays. All the links are in the show notes and they will be in your inbox if you are a subscriber to my newsletter, which you can join at mamieks.com slash podcast. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe, stay healthy. I wish you all the best. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's 